welcome to Life in the Land, a podcast telling stories about rural and regional women across this wonderful country of ours. I'm Emily Herbert, your host for this episode. This will delight all the parents, guardians and teachers listening today who have read aloud the tales of George the farmer and his wife, Dr Ruby, to the wide eyes and excited ears of little ones. Today we're chatting with Simone Kane, author and co-founder of the George the Farmer Educational Enterprise. Born and raised on a farm in South Australia, Simone lives in Panola with her farming hubby, Justin, and their three young sons, George, Frank and Louis. Simone, alongside her business partner, Ben Hood, writes and publishes picture books, music, free paddock-to-plate videos, apps, nationally touring performances, and free curriculum-aligned resources for kids, helping them learn where food comes from and just how important agriculture is. The idea for an Aussie fictional character that inspired and educated about farming was sparked when Simone was heavily pregnant and looking for something for her tractor and farming mad toddler. I was um, lying on my bed with my son George, who was two at the time, and had my massive big pregnant belly because I was pregnant with twins at the time and I was yeah trying to find something to help keep him entertained when his brothers came along he was obsessed with the farm Mm. and um, so my husband's a farmer and any chance that he'd have he'd go out to the farm with him or he'd read um, you know those farm trading machinery books and point out pictures of headers and tractors and things like that we had a couple of basic farm books but I was really looking for a character or um yeah, something to sort of really inspire him and help keep him entertained when his brothers came. And then I, yeah, I just couldn't find anything. And so how did you go from not being able to find anything to actually doing something about it? Well, at that time, my business partner, Ben, and I were actively sort of researching um, different um, apps that we might be able to developed through our creative agency called Hello Friday. And um, everything that we kept sort of um, looking at was based around agriculture. Ben also grew up on a farm. And um, we were sort of looking more around ag management and that was right back at the start of sort of, you know, the boom of apps. We wanted to get into the app market to show our clients what we could do. But we thought, well, you know, if we're going to do that, we might as well develop our own app so we can showcase that. And we were also looking for a product that could sit in the background of our creative agency that could sort of tick away and um, bring in another income stream into the business. So we were looking at apps and, um, yeah, when I realised that there wasn't, you know, any farming characters globally that I could see on the app market or, you know, on online bookstores, I thought, wow, there's this really great opportunity to create this farming character that can inspire kids especially in Australia but you know um, globally about mm. farming and where food and fiber comes from and um, yeah so I spoke to Ben about it and I said I think we've got this great opportunity and why don't we kick it off as a interactive story app and I'll write the stories and um, and Ben was getting right into his illustrations at the time and so he was keen to to get drawing and so that's what we did. What was some of the research you were uncovering 
uh, in the lead up to launching the app around uh, Australian children and understanding where food and fibre comes from? Well, when we first started, you know, brainstorming what we were doing with George, it was really purely around being an inspirational character, something that someone like my son George would really resonate with. Mm. But it wasn't until I was sort of... I was probably about three quarters of the way through the first story, which was about planting a wheat crop. And, and the stories follow George and his um, agronomist wife, Dr. Ruby. She's got a PhD. Um, and it was around George. He's planting his wheat crop and he runs out of seed and he doesn't realise and he has to go off to football training. He's obsessed with sport. <laughs> and um, Ruby comes in and saves the day. And so we would writing this story and producing this story around, um, you know, something sort of a little bit comical, but things that do happen, you know, in farming. And um, and then I came across these statistics and it was, and they're Australian statistics and it just blew me away that in um, Australia, year six students, about 45% of the ones surveyed couldn't identify everyday lunchbox items such as a um, piece of cheese, bread, banana, as originating from a farm and um, and then some other crazy ones about, you know, um, 27% thinking that yogurt came from a plant as well, which obviously it came now, but back then in 2011, there weren't many plant-based yogurts. Um, yeah. And it just blew me away. You know, I grew up on a farm as well and being married to a farmer thinking, how do kids not understand this? Mm. And so it was then that we thought, okay, well, not only do we need to have George and Ruby being, inspirational characters they really need to be educational yeah I love that had you always wanted to write children's stories yeah I think so I mean even when I was in primary school I loved um, writing stories I remember one of the first stories that I wrote actually and it was I don't think I've got a copy of it anymore but it was on this little girl who ended up getting cancer and I remember um my teacher, I was in year two or something, and my teacher is getting all emotional about it. And, wow. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I've always enjoyed telling stories. Um, and it was something that I had had on the cards, I think. I started actually getting into illustration towards the end of my first business, um, experimenting a lot. And so I did think that would be something really cool to do. And, yeah, so I guess it was just that sort of organic, natural progression into it just, you know, probably was always in the back of my mind and then just popped up at the right time. Before you started writing your first story, did you do much research around what makes a good children's book? Yeah, um, did a lot of reading of kids' books. I mean, I was reading a lot anyway at the time to George. Mm. Um, But, yeah, you know, looked at lots of things online. You can get anything online now. So um, did a lot of research around how to break up stories and, um, you know, thinking about um, A stories and B stories that get woven together as part of a story to make them exciting. And, um, yeah, there's lots to it. And I think we've just written our 10th picture book now. And from where we've started with the first picture book to where we are now, I'm really proud of the progression that we've made. You know, kids still absolutely love our first picture books. Mm. But for me, um, you know, I guess trying to hone in on my writing craft, I think we've come a long way. And Ben as well with his illustrations to to where we are now. We try and keep the words down um, to a, a lot 
you know, small in number so that parents um, don't get exhausted at night time trying to get through one of our larger books. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, and just try and, I guess, use the illustrations better to tell parts of the story that we would have otherwise written. Mm. What does your writing process look like and how long does it take you to write a book? Um, So I've got a little file that I keep open most of the time and that has different story ideas and they're just dot points of things that, you know, we might write a a book about. Um, So George is based on like a sheep and cropping and cattle farm, but he's surrounded by lots of different um, farmers uh, producing different foods and fibres. So we can explore lots of different things and, you know, and he can visit his mates all over the countryside. Our our latest book was about him um, travelling up to the biggest beef show in the Southern Hemisphere, which happened to be in Rockhampton. (laughs) And along the way, he goes through um, regional Victoria and New South Wales and stops off at some of his friends and and meets um, and helps one of his friends, um, Harriet, who is a farmer in Moree. Um, So, you know, we have all these different ideas that sort of sit behind the scenes and they also come up from people that I meet through my travels um, over the years with George the farmer and I sit on a couple of different boards as well and so for example our third picture book was um, Ruby and the Dairy Dilemma and it's about Ruby um, trying to work out this pooey problem um, at neighbour Alex's robotic dairy because um, Polly the cow um, is pooing too much (laughs) and poos over one of the cameras and um, the idea for that came from I did a ag um, business scholarship with Woolworths back in 2015 and met this um, robotic dairy technician called Robbie from WA and he was the first one that was really told me about what happens in robotic dairies and he got out his phone and he showed me how he could log into any of his clients uh, dairies at the time and see what the cows were doing and I was like wow that's amazing the kids would love to learn about that so I keep this little bank of different ideas like that going and um, and then do a little bit of research behind those um, topics as well to make sure that you know they're sort of factually correct as well um, I break down the story into how many pages um, there are in the book so that I know um, structurally, you know, how much I, sh- I should include and when I've got to get to what part in the story. And then once the first draft's done, um, run that back by, you know, wherever I got the idea from, for example, Robbie or other people in the industry and get their feedback. And then it goes through um, our copywriter um, quite a few times. Like we'll probably do about 10 edits on wow. it. Wow. Um, and in that time, probably in the last... Before we get to the last four edits, then Ben starts illustrating them. Yeah, I, well, I, looking at that book in particular, surely you add poo and it's going to be a winner for most children. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in terms yeah, anything of poo, spew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love all that stuff. So this was back in 2014 that you first had the idea and you launched the interactive story app. Were you surprised that there was such a demand for physical copies and, and books and hard copies? Yeah, totally. We thought we were being so cutting edge and cool (laughs) releasing this digital product (laughs) and it was just going to sit in the background and do its own thing and tick along and we were just going to keep, you know, building websites and doing graphic design in our creative agency. But, um, yeah, the interest in it was really amazing, which was great. But then 
people were asking for physical copies because they wanted to read them to their kids, mm. um, you know, at bedtime instead of having this app. Um, yeah, so it really did surprise us. Um, but it's also really nice and it's easy for us with our background from our creative agency to um, produce the actual physical books, you know, get them printed and have them um, as high quality um, pieces of uh, literature, I guess. Mm. Why did you choose to self-publish? Well, I did, um, after we released the app and we were looking at publishing, I did have a contact through a major publisher um, in Australia and I sent, we communicated a little bit, um, she was interested to view the first book, so I sent that through to her and I heard crickets. Oh. I didn't hear anything. And I thought, okay, well, should I wait? Should I reach out again? I did reach out again. I still heard crickets. And then um, I thought, should I, you know, try and um, push this out through other um, publishers and see if I can get it picked up? Mm. Um, but really when you submit manuscripts, it can be months before you hear back from anyone. And because we'd already pushed the um, story out on the app market and it was available already, we thought, you know, we've got the skills that we can produce these books ourselves. Um, let's just have a crack at um, at self-publishing and trying to do sales and marketing around it. It's almost a JK Rowling moment, um, you know, not hearing back from a publisher for X amount of time and, and it's a, a raging yeah. success, which is quite cool. Yeah, and I guess, I don't know, I just think that there isn't anything else on the market. Like there isn't another farming character telling sequential stories about life on the land, like, I mean, all that I could find when I was looking for George were old farmers in their overalls that mm. walked into the chook shed and collected the eggs and milked a cow by hand and that was their whole day and that was all that happened in farming. So there's, there just there isn't anyone telling those stories. Um, and kids do really love them. Like regional kids love them because they do have that connection to the land. But city kids, when they have that opportunity to get in front of them, um, they really enjoy the stories because they do love animals and, and a lot of the time young kids do love learning about machinery and things like that and technology, mm. which we try and weave into our stories as well to make agriculture seem um, innovative as well and that it's not all old school like books generally tend to depict yeah. the sector. Yeah, it's so cool to see some contemporary um, science and the innovation that farmers are constantly across and abreast, uh, like robotics and um, and some of the, the topics that, and themes that you do weave through the stories. What has the response been like from, from readers in the city and in, in Australia? What have you been hearing? Um, really positive. I, I don't think we've actually had any negative not that have reached us, um, <laughs> responses come back. But, um, yeah, look, our recurring um, customer rate's really good. Once people purchase one of a couple of books, they generally come back and keep adding to the series. So I think that sort of speaks for itself. We get lots of um, parents and teachers contact us um, around reluctant readers and reluctant learners um, that sort of struggle getting into the learning space when they first start school and when they come across George the Farmer, they're inspired through the stories and they want to learn. We had this teacher over in regional Victoria that um, read a couple of our first books to her reception class and 
then did one of our free curriculum aligned educators guides along with that and part of the guide um, asked the kids to write their own story around um, farming mm. and she chose to write a story around planting a wheat crop and she wrote six pages of text and the most that she'd ever written for the whole year was half a page. Yeah, wow. And she'd written this this story on planting a wheat crop because she just resonated with the stories. I think that's the thing. We know how important representation is. And for a lot of country kids, seeing the what might look like their home life uh, in a book, using Australian jargon or terms, that's really important. Yeah, and it goes back to that, you know, being that inspirational character for kids but then at the same time being educational. And, and we're starting to see a bigger pickup now from teachers in metropolitan schools purchasing our book packs um, for the kids and downloading our resources, which is great. Like it's taken quite a few years, but the word's starting to gradually spread and get out there, which is, which is really cool. We'll be back with Simone in just a moment, but now a word from today's sponsor. Today's episode of Life in the Land is brought to you by AgriFutures Australia. AgriFutures invests in research, leadership, innovation and learning to grow the long-term prosperity of Australian rural industries and communities. The Rural Women's Acceleration Grant is a new AgriFutures program developed to foster growth and development in women involved in Australia's rural and emerging industries, businesses and communities. Seven Australian women per annum will be granted a learning and development bursary of up to $7,000 for professional development to enable them to bring their idea, cause or vision to life. Do you or someone you know have an idea, cause or vision which contributes to rural and emerging industries, businesses and communities? Apply for the AgriFutures Rural Women's Acceleration Grant. Applications open on Thursday, 26th of August, 2021. Find out more via the AgriFutures website, agrifutures.com.au. For someone who's completely naive about the publishing industry, like myself, what does it actually entail to self-publish and, and how practically do you go about that? Well, I mean, we just learn everything on the fly. Like most of, really, my whole business career has just been learning on the fly. Same. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I guess because of our background in graphic design, we could set the books up to print in the right way so that they were all high resolution. Um, there wasn't any problems with that. Um, so either, I mean, if you wanted to get into self-publishing, you either need to use a um, designer to be able to set your books properly for print or you do it yourself. Um, I researched about barcodes and ISBNs um, that appear on the back of books and um, the different types of barcodes and um, that you can buy and best places to buy and that sort of thing. Um, and then from that, obviously, you know, writing the books, printing the books, having the books get delivered and and you know storing them somewhere actually our first books that we ever printed we had printed in China because our um, book printer that we went to here in Australia first to get a quote came back in at um, about 
uh, half of the price of what we need to sell them for. Mm. And um, we had a price come back in from China, which was about a quarter of that again, or about half of that. And um, couldn't match it. And so then, and, and obviously when we're trying to compete on the book market with selling a book that, you know, we don't have to sell for too much money and it can mm. compete competitively. Um, so we had the first lot printed in China and, and they were fine. Like we learned a lot about um, quality checks and things like that with that with them. But, you know, being, I think, George the Farmer and we, it is such an iconically Australian brand, we really want to produce as much, um, as many products as we can through the brand here in Australia. Mm. And so we uh, had discussions with, went back with our printers again after that and um, spoke with them and they said, no, we really want to work with you as well. And um, yeah, and so they came to the party and um, matched their pricing a lot better, which was awesome. So then, yeah, but that was interesting as well, you know, learning about uh, customs and importing, exporting and everything like that. And then, um, yeah, I guess then once you've got the books, really it all just comes down to sales and marketing and how to pick up distributors and we sold um, everything originally through our uh, website and gradually over the years we've picked up about uh, 50 60 stockists nationally to date um, we find that because we're selling books if they're in bookstores they sort of get lost on the shelves unless the, um, the owners of the bookstores are passionate about them and, and push them or that someone knows what to ask for when they go mm. into the bookshop. So generally if it's in a gift shop where there's a smaller range of books, they go really well. Um, and yeah, just, I guess a bit of a learning curve as to how to approach stockers um, and, and sell your product mm. and get them passionate about what you're trying to do. And then, um, yeah. So, and we've, I guess, picked up pretty organically through regional Australia. Metro has been much, much, much harder slug uh, to try and get into because, you know, there isn't, I, I think people do find it harder to resonate. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I said, you know, when kids get in front of it, they do actually really enjoy it. So it's, yeah, it's a bit of a catch-22 at the moment for us. And I think that's because, you know, they, many grandparents grew up on farms or they did have that, uncle auntie grandparent or whatever that was connected to the farm and so they do see the importance of farming and agriculture um but over the years um i think there's been well the abs reported in 2011 i think we had 300 farmers a month leave the land over 30 years wow. so that's around 108,000 farmers just in that period um and so that's all those people that are no longer telling stories about producing mm -hmm. food and fiber um and having those conversations with kids and other consumers. So I think, um, you know, being able to get these stories about George into um, city and, and also regional areas still where um, we can tell different stories about food and fibre. I mean, kids might grow up on a sheep property, but they don't know anything about apples or yep. how apples are grown or, um, you know, cotton. Um, so being able to spark those conversations about food and fiber i think is really important you know not only for kids to be able to make um healthy food choices by learning how food's produced in their in their future mm. but also um giving them a better appreciation as to what goes into growing food and their parents who read the books with them because 
those kids will grow up to be purchasing consumers in the long run. And the better um, knowledge that they have about food production and what it takes for all of us to be able to have access to this beautiful, clean, green food that we're so lucky to have here in Australia, the better because, um, you know, agriculture needs support from consumers so that we can keep producing all of that great food. There has been a lot said about the divide or the increasing divide, it seems, between the city and the country. But then campaigns like Buy From The Bush has shown that there is an appetite for urbanites to connect with the, you know, those in regional and rural and remote areas. Do you think that there is a way for, uh, I guess, country people to tell their stories in, in a way to, to break that divide or bridge that gap? Um, look, I think, yeah, as people in regional areas, the more that we talk about how we live and what we're so fortunate about, you know, a lot of the time, I guess the stories that are told are that we are isolated, that we're remote, that, you know, the things that we don't have access to, mm. but we don't really tell the stories enough of what we do have access to, like, especially in times like COVID where people are locked up in the city in their tiny apartments um, with their kids. And, you know, we may be in, we just had lockdown last week, but at least we had open spaces here. And, um, you know, we're so fortunate that we're surrounded by nature still um, living regionally and that we don't necessarily have as many, um, I guess the population isn't as high, so we're not coming across those problems as much. But, um, yeah, I think it's all around changing that perception of, um, and as much as for how we're trying to change the perception of agriculture, I guess, mm. with telling stories about innovation and technology, but changing that perception around, you know, living in the country is cool, it's beautiful. Um, yeah, all of the positives that come with it. Yeah, completely. Uh, we need to be yelling it from the rooftops, I think. So <laughs> everything that you just described about setting George up and, and distributing and, and marketing, it sounds like the work of a, of a team, but this is you doing this. You are packing orders and the books are stored with you and you're writing and it's such a huge job. And you started this with baby twins and a toddler and Simone I have a six-month-old and I'm so tired <laughs> at the thought of your life when, when you were deep in the trenches of starting George the farmer up with your three little boys at foot how did you find yeah. the energy I don't remember <laughs> <laughs> no honestly I don't remember like it's a total blur from the twins my mum um I think I said to you before but yeah mum moved in I and I couldn't remember if it's for one month or three months, but I think it was actually three months. Um, but yeah, that was all a blur. But I didn't, I, I don't think I really attempted any work for that first six months with mm. the twins. And then um, they did start one or two days childcare. And um, I think that was just, you know, my way of gradually getting back into it then. But we do have, although it's mainly me in George, you know, Ben jumps in and out illustrating or, music or appearing in videos and, um, you know, doing stuff on the website and stuff like that, or illustrations, even just for social media and things like that. And then we've got someone, Ella, who um, is my niece and she does all of our social media. She's brilliant. And we've had lots of great people helping us out with that role over the years. Um, and then I've got someone else who does our videography and our script writing as well, Gretel. 
um, is great. So yeah, I have had a lot of support and obviously my husband as well. So mm-hmm. once we started traveling a bit with George and doing performances around um, the country, he yeah could see he's really passionate about it as well. And he was just like, you know, just go with it and see where it takes you. Mm. You um, don't describe yourself as, as overly maternal. What was the experience like or how did you find uh, becoming a mother for the first time? Very daunting. Um, yeah, no, definitely. I still wouldn't call myself maternal. Um, I think I just always had in my head that I would have kids one day, but I didn't really think about it that much. I didn't do, I didn't read any books beforehand. I didn't go to any um, prenatal classes. Um, I didn't really talk to anybody about having kids. We just thought, okay, let's just, yeah, let's have kids now and get pregnant and then out comes this baby. And yeah, I think it was a really big shock just to sort of for someone who's was quite independent I worked by myself so I um had a lot of time through the day by myself and Mm. so having um yeah it was just a massive shock to all of a sudden be surrounded by someone Mm. 24 hours a day and not having that break um so yeah I struggled a lot with George and then when I had the twins, although there were two and, and it does sound a bit crazy and I can't remember everything, but I am pretty sure like I did find having the twins easier than George and my husband does think I'm a nutbag when I say that, but it is <laughs> I, that is my how I believe that I was. But I think it was just all around the fact that I knew what to expect. I knew there was, you know, my independence was going to be, you know, taken away even further and, you know, I knew sort of what to expect. Um, with that but yeah the biggest shock I think came with George. I think we definitely speak more openly about a diverse range of experiences going into motherhood. Uh, we, it's less of a taboo subject it seems when it's not always beer and skittles. Do you feel like your experience was represented around you at the time? This was 11 years ago when George was born? Yeah definitely not. Mm. There was nobody talking about any, um, well I mean having said that like I said I didn't actively go and look for that information Mm. but I mean there was still social media then that was um so I mean around George when I had him he that was sort of 2010 so I think I'd been on Facebook for 12 months at that stage um so people were I guess voicing their opinions on things but um I don't think people really knew the power of social media and putting their voices out there and their opinions as such back then so there really wasn't any other, um, yeah, information and people that I saw talking honestly about what it was like to have kids that that's very different now, which is great. I think it would be a totally different experience. Mm. Um, and you might, I mean, how do you feel about that? Um, having a child only six months ago, do, do you think how you felt, you know, having a baby, did you think it was how it was going to be? Uh, well, it was pretty weird because we were living with mum and dad. So it probably was a bit of a unique situation, but I was, I think I had more trepidation about it beforehand. I really, I'm a classic overthinker, perhaps probably reminiscent of my generation. And I just thought, oh, this is going to be bad. This is going to be hard. (laughs) I love my life and this is really going to change it. So I, perhaps I was the opposite in that it wasn't, um, as 
dreadful as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and now we quite like yeah, well, him and I think we'll keep I him. should have been. <laughs> Lucky for him. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky for you. <laughs> yeah, it depends if he sleeps through this podcast or not. <laughs> How did you meet your husband, Justin? Um, so it was at the local country show in a nearby town and we were walking past each other and he said, hello, Miss Bearden. That's my maiden name. And I was like, Ooh, he's cute. (laughs) And, um, but I didn't realize that he just didn't know my first name, but that's why he called me Miss Bearden. And then, yeah, yeah, we met each other um, probably at another seaside town pub probably yeah 12 months or so after that and this is when you're 18 as well yeah yeah very young yeah we've been with each other pretty much um yeah the whole time since then wow and how you guys don't live on the family farm can you tell me a little bit about how uh you've set your lives up and how that works for you yeah so um we were living out on the farm when we first got married and um looking at so there's other brothers and sister-in-laws involved on the family farm. And we just sort of decided that we'd do our own thing and purchase our own block of land in town um, with our own money and build our own house. And just to have that, um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? You know, independence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a bit of independence away from that whole family unit. Mm um and you know there's pros and cons with that we're um the kids haven't been able to experience what it's like growing up on directly on the farm where they can just scoot out and jump on their motorbikes or you know do anything like that um whenever they want but there are lots of um pros from being in town i mean there is you know there's a massive ease of being close to supermarkets and things like that Um, and the school the kids ride their bikes to school every day and and come home by themselves every day and um, have still a lot of independence as they would out on the farm but but in town but I think yeah the best thing for us has just been having that independence and being able to step away from that all-consuming sort of farm life I guess. Mm. Well I think so many Uh, of our community and listeners can resonate with the idea that farmers don't know what time um, knockoff time is. Don't even know what it means. So there is something probably quite liberating about having to leave the farm to have your hot meal, but also anyone who's lived with family and the dynamics, navigating those dynamics of living and working and being in each other's pockets all the time. Uh, It does sound like you guys have the best of both worlds. Yeah, I think it's, well, it's worked in our situation. I think um, the brothers all get along really well. Um, and yeah, and I think it is probably from having that little bit of space from one another. But yeah, we're all na- navigating now the, um, well, on the cards coming up, the whole succession um, plan for the next generation. There's nine kids in amongst all the family. So, um, and trying to, you know, look in the crystal ball and, and think who might, want to stay on the farm and work and if any or you know it's hard but yeah we'll um, approach that over over the next couple of years and and see where that takes us but I think it'll all be fine we all get along really well so yeah 
Oh, it's a gnarly topic for sure. Maybe that'll um, be the backbone of the next book for George the Farmer, <laughs> Navigating Succession. <Maybe. laughs> that'll be a bestseller, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Parents be buying for tips for themselves. So tell me a little yeah. bit about what's in the pipeline for George. You uh, are across multimedia with your videos on YouTube and, and things like that. So how's that looking and, and where can people find George? Yeah, well, the best place to find George is at our website, so georgethefarmer.com.au. Um, and from there, you can reach and find all of our books, our stockists that are around the country are all listed there as well. Um, you can download our free curriculum aligned educate, educators resources for foundation to year four uh, students, um, and they cover STEAM subjects, which are great. And we've got another four resources that are coming out um, in the next couple of weeks, which are on the topics of apples, chickpeas, dairy, and two forestry resources. Um, so they're all available on our website and then you can access, access our YouTube channel from the website as well. We just Google George the Farmer YouTube and we've just released um, five new um, paddock to plate musical videos there as well. So they're really fun. They're um, about seven minutes in length. Um, they have George, our like life-size George, um, with Ben, my business partner, and I um, cruising around different farming environments, learning about you know how um, houses are made from wood in a forest, from a um, from wood from a forest plantation. Um, chickpeas, we go through the stages of um, growing and harvesting chickpeas, and then we end up in the kitchen. And we make falafel and, and hummus oh, and show awesome. kids how to do that. Yeah. And then we do singing and dancing in amongst it as well, which is quite funny. So Ben, my business partner, is a musician. I can't um, sing. <laughs> I dance alongside. <laughs> I make out I sing, but I definitely cannot. Um, but yeah, it's all a bit of fun. George and I do the dance moves together while Ben plays his guitar and sings. Um, and you can get our music on uh, Spotify um, and Apple Music as well. Um, and... We're heading up to Darwin in September to film Asian greens, mangoes and melons uh, for the Northern Territory farmers. So that'll be great. Yeah. And then in October, we'll be heading over to Victoria, all going well with borders and um, filming eggs over there, free range eggs. And so all of that video content is available through our YouTube channel and the ABC have just acquired our second series of videos, which is awesome. So they'll start airing on the ABC from August the 16th and they'll be on ABC Education and ABC Ivy. What was it like having ABC acquire the videos? No, it was pretty, <clears throat> pretty daunting. I mean, it was like, it's like one of those things with publishing. I had no idea what to do. Um, reached out, uh, reached out to the ABC. I don't think I had any response. And then through contacts that I'd met through you know various conferences and awards and things like that um, met Georgie Somerset who's on the board of ABC and asked Georgie Georgie can you please do an introduction to me uh, for me to you know kids um, with ABC so she did that and then I um, went and met with them in Sydney and showed them some of our work and our books and things like that. And at that stage, we were actually looking to get into an animated series of George the Farmer. So that's what I was pitching to them, that I wanted oh. to get this animated show off the ground. 
And then I showed them the live action videos and they said, oh, these are really good. We might actually want to acquire these. And I said, oh, really? <laughs> and so, yeah, um, we had three at that stage and they acquired two out of the those, those first ones that we produced. And then, um, yeah, ended up meeting with the other person out of ABC Kids who's sort of like our contact person and just keeping in touch with her over the months and saying look we've got these other videos coming up these are the scripts what do you think and you know she'll let me know what she thinks about them and then we produce them and um send them through the drafts to have a look at and then yeah they come back and said yep these last ones they've took taken all five so that was great and and obviously we're learning as we go with um what they're looking for and what we shouldn't do in videos and and things like that for kids so yeah it's been it's been fun but yeah definitely a learning curve as well what I really love about your story and, and what you've been telling me is that you just go and do it yourself. You didn't hear back from the publisher, you self-publish, you create these videos and at the ABC acquires it. How did you get that mindset or the confidence to back yourself and just put yourself out there and give things a go? I think probably from, I started my first business when I was 18 and that was, Someone had, a friend had suggested, I'd been doing a little bit of freelancing. I was about to go back to Adelaide um, and try and get into, well, I thought I needed to go back to Adelaide to get a job in interactive multimedia or website development. And this friend of mine said, why don't you just start your own business? And I went, oh, oh. yeah, I suppose I could. You know, I was 18 and I didn't really overthink things. I just went and thought, yeah why not? I haven't got anything to lose. And I didn't even know what I did have to lose anyway, because I didn't mm. think about anything. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just went and did it. And then, um, you know, and you, I had a lot of support from our local council um, trying to sort of help me navigate, um, I guess, the, my journey through that startup of business. And then I remember Telstra were actually a really good support. They came out and hooked me up with a satellite out on the farm. So I was still living with mum and dad at that stage. And they were trying, they knew I was doing website development. And obviously that was the future. Um, you know, most businesses back, that was in 98, most businesses in regional areas didn't have a website. They were only just getting connected to an email address. So there was a lot of support for what I was doing. Um, and especially so because I was in a regional area and I was female. Um, mm -hmm. So I've always had that support and I think, I guess, just from knowing if you ask, there's not really anything to lose. Mm. I mean, if you get knocked back, try again or go about it a different way. Um, and so, yeah, I think I've, I guess I've just learnt that along the way without really thinking about it. Um, and I find it really interesting, I think, just navigating that sort of um, landscape and trying to achieve something even if it seems a little bit unattainable mm. <clears throat> well you have been cutting your teeth in the industry for gosh what, 20 years now in your own <laughs> yeah. as a self-employed boss lady what have been some of your key takeaways for our Grazy Her community who might be wanting to launch something and uh yeah would like a little bit of inspo or some practical takeaways that you might have to offer um, I definitely say don't overthink anything. And and as we get older, it is so hard to not overthink things. And I think that's the beauty of when I started out when I was 18, that I didn't overthink anything. I just had a crack and didn't think about the risks. Mm. And the more that we do think about what can go wrong, 
it's harder to take that leap of faith and just hope for the best. Mm. Um, so I think definitely don't overthink things. I've, I stopped for a long time learning. Um, like not, not stopped, stopped, but I wasn't actively learning. And I really started learning again probably um, three years ago. I got hooked on Audible books. So I um, listen to Audible books when I run or whenever I'm in the car. And they're all on personal development and, and business development. One of my favourite books is Atomic Habits. Um, I'm listening to that again, I think I'm there for about the 10th time at the moment. Um, it's just so good. Like it's, <laughs> exactly, James Clear, yeah. So, um, you know, and I just think that's so perfect because even if, you know, if you're trying to start a healthy habit, you know, eating-wise or whatever, or you're wanting to launch out in your own business, it's all about how to take those tiny incremental steps to get to where you want to get to. 5% And I think, day. you know, yeah, exactly. And that's even what we've done with George, you know, like it's been five or six years um, with George now. We haven't, you know, pushed out like a bull at a gate, so to speak. We've just grown organically and taken our time with where we're at. So, yeah, I think Atomic Habits is an awesome book. And just to keep learning, I've just signed up for a, um, a course called B School which is run by Marie Forleo and I read her book a couple of years ago um, everything is figure outable mm. which is great but yeah I just get lots of inspiration out of books and podcasts and um, just learning and it always gives me an idea like I, I I'm always ringing Ben going I've had I've had this idea and he's like oh no we know that <laughs> what now <laughs> start screening your calls so I think yeah <laughs> yes and networking, networking is key, you know, making those contacts um, because, and most people will always want to help you um, if you're trying to have a crack. So if you reach out to someone, more than likely they'll say, you know, um, sure, I'll try and connect you with the appropriate person or give you a little bit of advice. Yeah. Well, you did that. Uh, you were the winner of the 2017 AgriFutures Rural Women of the of the Year in South Australia, which is really cool. So you put yourself forward for for these um awards or these opportunities which i think is so important yeah and i think something like well any award but especially the agrofutures award it's just this amazing platform that if you've got this cause or your business that you're really trying to promote and push and get out there to a national audience putting your hand up for something like that um just opens up so many doors for you if you can get through. I mean, I, I actually applied for the Rural uh, Women's Award three times, I think. Wow. It was three times. Yeah, and that was over the course of 12 years maybe. Yeah. And I was a finalist twice and then, yeah, won the third time. It was yes. like third time lucky. Um, and I learned stuff out of each time trying. Yeah, totally. You know, I, I guess I've perfected my um and the first thing that I actually applied for that I did as my project my idea was writing a kid's book about farming and uh. that was before I even thought about George the farmer I only went back and saw my application you know a few years ago and I was like oh my god I actually had that idea then oh that's what but Oprah would until... call a full circle moment <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's cool <laughs> but yeah isn't that amazing that's so, so you know, awesome. I think putting yourself through those processes um, helps you to gradually define your pathway and where you want to go. Yes, I love that. I just, that's kind of goosebump stuff, I think. And, um, 
and yeah, just keep, keep on putting yourself forward and you've just got to say rack off normally to the old imposter syndrome. Yeah, that's it. I mean, look, everybody experiences that. And especially when you're just navigating something that you're not necessarily confident with, or you don't know how to do something or, um, you know, that whole tall poppy syndrome as well, when you feel like people are knocking you down because you're having a crack. There'll always be people like that and I think you just have to, and I've only just really started getting a lot better at that. I think through a lot of the books that I've been reading, um, you know, they've really helped me to work out who I am and to not really worry about all that other fluff that's going on out there. Mm, block out the white noise. Oh, well, you've inspired yeah. me. I'm going to go and, and uh, pick up a self-development book and get cracking. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Simone. It's been such a pleasure to chat. And yeah, I can't wait to read George the Farmer to my little boy. No, thanks, Em. Thanks for having me. Gosh, I love how much of a goer Simone is. To me, she really epitomises the rural women much like her fictional character, agronomist Dr Ruby. Smart, capable, looking at the big picture, seeing a problem and finding a solution. I'd love to see George the Farmer books in every school and library and childcare centre. It also makes a perfect baby shower gift in my opinion. Let's help spread the word. While you're out spreading the good word, mention our podcast to your friends and family. Share episodes you love rate and review. We love creating this content and you sharing it helps us to keep doing so. Finally, don't forget to check out the latest Grazy Her magazine in quality stockists near you or buy a subscription online. It's brimming with gorgeous photography, delicious recipes and stories to inspire and galvanise. Until next time, keep well. This is a Grazy Her podcast produced by Manson and Company. Mm-hmm.